good morning. What a joy it is to be here today. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces, which uh, is a blessing, but it really makes my heart pound a lot to see so many unfamiliar faces. Um, I was here four or five years ago when we had a small group of people right over here, and um, without the chairs, there were pews, and uh, they agreed to all sit together rather than, and it's nice to see you spread out now. Uh, that doesn't mean you've gained weight. That means you've gained people. And so we, uh, I am thankful for that because uh, all praise goes to God. Uh, it's not anything that we do, no magic programs, no um, dynamic personality I trust is involved in all of this so much as it is just the Spirit of God moving. And uh, you want to come and you want to hear God's word and you want to fellowship and you want to have a, a family uh, that you can uh, come to and be encouraged and challenged. And I trust that uh, that's why we not only are here at this church, but we're here this morning as well. And so it's a, and so it's a ple- pre- pleasure, privilege, both, uh, to be able to come back and to speak and uh, just to, to help out in any way I possibly can. Um, for those of you who do not know me, I, uh, I'm Ralph Soper. Um, I'm the conference pastor to the denomination, which means I'm a pastor to the pastors. Um, doesn't carry a lot of authority so much as it's just a, I'm a man who's been in the pulpit, and I'm there to encourage and to pray for. My wife, Sharon, uh, is with me, and she's a part of the ministry so that she ministers to the pastor's wives. And so we just want to encourage and, and help them in any way that we possibly can in their life and in the ministry that God has given to them in our 65-plus churches. And so uh, it's a joy to be able to do that. Uh, if you haven't turned there already, let's uh, get into God's Word and in Ephesians chapter 1. Also in your outline, uh, or in your bulletin is an outline, if you'd like to follow along with that. And uh, I will have some fill-ins for you as we go through that. Um, we're going to look at verses 3 to 6. I just want to read those in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. There was a lady, well known, I I didn't know it until I read about it, but there was a lady that was known as the America's greatest miser. Maybe you've heard this, maybe you know about her. Uh, She ate cold oatmeal because it was too costly to heat it up. Her son had to have his leg amputated because she was trying to find the best and cheapest medical care that she could and just waited too long. Uh, She eventually died from a uh, blood clot or an aneurysm that she had in the brain arguing uh, about some silly stuff, the benefits of skimmed milk. Can you imagine that? Arguing about skimmed milk. Um, she even, well, yeah, she died from that. And was she, was she crazy? I don't know. Was she eccentric? Hmm, 
No doubt she probably was. Uh, but Hetty Brown was not poor. When she died, she left an estate worth $100 million. Can you imagine that? Having that kind of money, living the way she did. Now, I say that as, a, as an illustration because I think there, at least I've experienced it in my life, and I think I've seen it in other people's lives, as as Christians, sometimes we live like Hetty. We are spiritually rich, but we don't live like it. We don't enjoy the wealth that God has given to us as believers in Jesus Christ. And I think Paul addresses that today uh, in, in the word that we're going to be looking at. Because, uh, praise God, in spite of all of that, God has a plan. God has a plan for us, each one of us, each one of his children. He has a plan. And I think it's good to look at that plan. I think it's good to remember. Uh, some of this stuff that I'm going to talk about is, is, is truth, and it may just be reminders to you. It certainly is to me. But it's wonderful reminders. It's great reminders. It's things that we need to remember that we can move on in our lives, and to live for him. But he has a plan. In verse chapter three, in chapter 1, verse 3, we see, uh, well, Paul mentions throughout, uh, down to verse 14, he mentions several things. And he talks about spiritual blessings in verse 3. He offers up praise to the Father um, that he's chosen us in eternity past in verses 4 to 6. In verses 7 to 11, he offers up praise that the Son has redeemed us in the historical past. That means at the cross, And in verses 12 to 14, he offers up praise that the Holy Spirit has sealed us in our personal past at the point of conversion. I think what Paul is trying to do here and what we need to recognize, and many of you know this, is that all three persons of the Godhead are involved in our salvation. And we need to recognize that and to um, rejoice in that. It's been planned by him. And we're only going to look at verses 3 to 6 to see two areas of God's marvelous plan. And the first one is in verse 3, God's plan of blessing. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul said that we are to bless. That means we are to lift up his name. We're to uh, eulogize. We're to speak well of. We're to honor this God that we're talking about, that we've come to know as our Lord and our Savior. And Paul says that we need to bless him. And it's not necessarily what he's done for us, although that's marvelous, isn't it? I trust that you uh, recognize that. By the way, if you want to nod or, you know, say amen or anything like that along the way, uh, that's okay with me. Uh, But Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's important. He's centering the attention on God. So important to him. Sometimes we get off that track, but we need to center our attention on him. It's who he is. It's what he he is and, and what he's done. And I think too many times people center the intention on themselves, especially in today's society, in our culture of today, in America. The center of attention is is drifting towards us. What can you do for me? What's in it for me? If I come to church, what do you have to offer me? So the attention is there. It's got, it has reached the level so bad. I was down in Florida 
uh, on vacation, and we dropped down into Naples to visit a, a pastor and his wife down there where we have a church in Naples. And uh, he was telling me about uh, how so consumerism it is in his area that they have all kinds of weird services going on to please and to entertain people. Star Wars uh, services where people are dressed up that way. The message is kind of revolved around the movie. Nothing about God. Uh, maybe if you read scripture, you'd hear it. But it's just disheartening to see that that's the, that's the way we're drifting in America, is that we want to be entertained. And so there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. But Paul says we don't want to center our attentions on ourselves. Because uh, when we do, we can then take these verses, this verse that Paul is talking about, and we can look at it and we can say, well, because God has blessed me, I will praise him. But that's incorrect thinking. That's wrong. That makes our praising God conditional. If he does something for me, then I will praise him. And Paul is trying to rebuke that because in truth, in truth, we should be praising God whether we receive anything or not. Have you ever thought about that? Whether you get anything or not, whether anything's to your benefit by your standards, God should be praised because of who he is, how marvelous he is, how great he is, how worshipful he is. And the first fill-in in your outline, if you want to do that, is when we praise and worship God first because of who he is, then anything that we are given is much more appreciated. Amen? Okay, good. I hope you really let that sink in. Is just because who God is and anything that He gives us, any anything, all good things come from the Father above, and we need to give Him the praise, not because He gave it to us, but just because He was willing to do that because of who He is and that He can do it, and it was His will to do that. I know that my wife and I always talk about the fact that. And, and we pray and thank God because we realize that what we have is a lot more than what we need. But God has given it to us, and so there is also a responsibility with that too, isn't there? With whatever he's given you, he asks you to be a good steward with that. And that's everything in life. That's not just money. That's everything. In verse 4, before the, we're not going to go there, but it just mentions that before the foundation of the world, before anything came into existence, the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, decided to redeem us so that the whole plan of salvation belongs to him. I know, again, this might be reminders, but I, I hope that it will take us back and uh, do something for us inside. There's nothing that we can do to add or take away from our salvation. There's... And that's another thing that's in our world today is that uh, we recognize maybe that we're sinners saved by grace, but somehow we think we have a part. Somehow God's going to like me because of what I do. Look at how I serve in the church. Look at the money that I give in church. God, you've got to like me. You've got to save me because I do all of these wonderful things. We'll see that that's not true, but how has God blessed us? I think sometimes we think of God's blessing from verse 3 is, that just, is just because we have physical blessings. We might consider our health. We might can look at our home. We might look at our job. And we look at all of those things and we say, oh, I have been blessed by God. I must be living right. 
Now, the flip side of that is if we don't have those things, then we could say, maybe God doesn't like me. Maybe I'm not being blessed. Maybe there is something going on, or maybe there isn't any God at all. After all the effort and, and time that I've put into something, and, and I don't see a blessing from it, maybe it's not worth it. And some people have said that and left the church. But neither physical blessing nor trials should really determine whether I am blessed or not. But both, I think, are to be used to strengthen our faith and our walk with the Lord so that we get closer and closer and closer to him. James 1, verses 2 to 4, James writes, familiar verses again, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I understand what those verses are saying, but sometimes I don't like them. Uh, to know that trials and tribulations are what God uses to strengthen my faith, to make me trust more and more to him, to be more faithful, to be more humble, and to really just know that every day is is my dependence is to be upon him. God is not exalted because he's given me or you blessings or he withholds pains. And the second fill-in in your outline is God think God is to be blessed, praised, and worshipped because he is holy, righteous, and good. He saves us, keeps us, and gives us all that we need to live pleasing to him. Catch that? Everything that we have has been given to us to live pleasing to him. So we are to praise God for the material things that we do have, not that you all of a sudden disown yourself from that or you throw it out at the garbage to let somebody else have it. But we're to praise God for the material things he's given us. But Paul, I think, is emphasizing divine spiritual blessing. Things that God has given to us that matter not only in this life, but in the life to come. You've heard that saying that, you know, the hearse is not going to be hauling a U-Haul behind it on your funeral. You're not taking your material things with you. It means nothing. But our spiritual blessings mean everything. Eternal benefits that relate now as well as then. And so our minds, Paul uh, uh, reminds us in another book where he says uh, in in Colossians chapter 3 verse 2, set not your affections uh, on the things of the earth, but on those things which are above. Don't love those things. Don't love this world and the things in it. Use it rightly. Appreciate it. Realize that God has given it to you. But don't love it. Third fill-in. We certainly can enjoy the things God has given us, but our love, passion, and worship should be unto God to bring glory to him because from eternity past, he planned our salvation. Isn't that a wonderful thought? To know that you are saved if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that from eternity past, He planned it, and he's planned how to be saved, and he's planned who will be saved. And and notice when we're saved, the spiritual blessings we get, and how many do we get according to verse 3? Every spiritual blessing, everything we need to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has been given to us so that we can have that deeper 
meaningful relationship that sometimes we miss out on, like Hetty and living in poverty. We don't realize the deep, deep relationship, the blessings that we can have just in the a spiritual blessings and the relationship and the peace and the joy and everything that has been given to us as Christians, we can experience in our life, no matter what we're going through on this earth. We're not good enough. This is humbling to know that we're not good enough or smart enough to do anything to save ourselves. I think, uh, or to have these spiritual blessings. They come to us from heaven. In Christ, And I think in Christ is another important statement that sometimes we gloss over too much. Uh, again, I'm speaking more to myself probably than any of you, but I think in Christ is so, so important. We, we are who we are, brothers and sisters, because we're in Christ, not because you're special. And you are special, but you're not that special <laughs> to be saved. But in Christ, you are very special. You become a child of God. And it's because God, you've heard that God, when he looks at us, he's got to see Christ in our lives. He's got to see the Holy Spirit that's there. And if he doesn't, you're not his. When we pray to him, he listens to us because we're in Christ. Not again because we have eloquent prayers. Not because we say the right things or we do the right things. It's because we're in Christ. That's a humbling thought. When it says, I can come before the throne of grace to find grace in time of need. Brothers and sisters, that's only because you're in Christ. And that's so important to know. And that's why when we pray, most of the time, I think we should, is we should say in the name of Christ or in his name or something along that lines. Because what that does is that reminds us, it reminds me, that I can only talk to the Father. I can only... Know without a doubt that he's listening to me because I'm in Christ. And so all of my prayer requests, all of my praises that I've mentioned before that and then come to in Christ, it's God, it's your will, not mine be done. However you want to do and handle these prayer requests, however you want to take this praise and worship that I've given to you, it's all because it's what you want to do. And that's because I'm in Christ. That's humbling. To stop and think about that. And so next time you pray and you say in the name of Christ or in because of who Christ is, remind yourself of that. Whether it's private prayer, public prayer, or whatever, remind yourself that it's because you're in Christ and that's how God looks at us. I think being in Christ is also like a fish in water. Maybe I used this example before when I was here. I don't remember. That was four or five years ago, so uh, forgive me, but... Uh, I think in Christ is like a fish in water. A fish in the water lives, survives. That's how they uh, get their nourishment. They're fed by the ocean or the fresh water or whatever it is. They, they, that's where they grow and mature as, as a fish. And being in Christ is like that. It is God and who feeds us. Uh, with Outside of Christ, we're going to die like a fish out of water. But being in Christ is how we're fed and we grow and we thrive and we mature. And the good news out of all of this is that we've been redeemed through Christ, <clears throat> blessed with spiritual blessings in Christ and adopted through Christ, all because of him.
We're sinners saved by grace. We're made holy. We're adopted into God's family because that's God's plan. It's his will that that be done. Now, our real identity then, and this is, again, is hard to wrap our minds around uh, because of the way we're brought up or our culture, but our identity then is really wrapped up in Jesus Christ, isn't it? As a believer in Jesus Christ, our, that's who we are. We're in Christ. We need to gain our identity from that. And so, so many people, <clears throat> and I'm afraid even Christians, uh, take their identity from their job or from their family or the car that they drive or whatever it might be. Now, I know that TV is TV and, and all of that, but there was an illustration the other night. Sharon and I were watching a program and there was this man who owned a 1967 Chevrolet. I forget what model it was, but it was a nice-looking car. He kept it in really good condition. And he said that when he bought it, he and his wife uh, were really happy driving around in it. Because when they were in that car, wherever they drove in the city, people would look at them. And they really felt like they were something. See where he got his identity? From a 1967 Chevrolet. When he wasn't in that 1967 Chevrolet, who was he? Certainly not what he was when he was in it, because that's where he got his identity. And when sometimes we do that with our job, and we brag about that. Sometimes as pastors, you get your identity from the number of people that are coming to your church. Over and over and over again, when I went to pastor's seminars, and I would meet a new pastor... I can tell you 95 to 99% of the time, the first question that a pastor would ask me is, how many people come to your church? Not how are you doing? Do you have any struggles? How can I pray for you? What has God been doing to bless you? How have you experienced God's grace? None of that came out. Because there seemed to be that's how they wanted to identify you. And sometimes we as pastors can get in that, that mold, saying that, This is who I am because of how many people are there. But our real identity is in Jesus Christ. We, uh, how how did our redemption then take place? When God saved us, it's His plan. What does it mean for our lives? We see that in verses four to six, God's plan for salvation. Verses four and five, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Uh, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. He chose us. When? Before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? Before you were you, you were chosen. Before there was an us, or any of us, before Adam, before the foundation of the world, before creation itself, God had a plan. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's, that's thinking ahead. We like to, think, we like to set two-year goals or five-year goals um, in churches or in businesses or whatever it might be. <clears throat> God set a plan all the way back from eternity past. Why did he do this? Because he knew one day that you would attend the Fellowship Church in York. No, come on, come on, folks, are you with me? <laughs> That's not why he did it, is it? It's not why, because it's his will, it's his plan. Do I understand that? No. Do you understand that? I hope you will say no, I don't understand that. The minute we can think like God, we don't need him. 
Have you ever thought about that? Yet in America, we think that wisdom is everything. But we're not saved because we do good things or we act holy or God looked down the corridor of time and saw goodness in us or that we would trust him as our Savior. And this is a hard concept to wrap our minds around. I understand that. It took me quite a while to get a grasp, a hold of this. Because God willed it this way and he does not explain himself. And listen, folks, God doesn't have to explain himself. He doesn't have to. We want him to. You ever heard somebody say, and I think I've said it in the past too, but you ever heard anybody say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this? You ever heard that? Uh, well, I see a couple of nods heading. I think you're still with me. <clears throat> and my, my response now is, no, you won't. You won't ask him a thing. You're going to see as you've been seen. You're going to know things, and you're going to be so enwrapped by his glory and his holiness and, and his perfectness all of that stuff is going to just go. You're not going to ask him a question. Not that it will all be answered for you, but you won't care anymore. You won't care anymore. You'll just glory and bask in his glory and in his love. I think what it's teaching here is a fourth point in your outline. Salvation is totally about God's work, wisdom, and sovereignty. And there's nothing we can do to earn it or keep it. If we have a part in our salvation, even the smallest, smallest part in our salvation, then absolute power has been taken away from God. Now, that's not, we can't do that. But in our minds, in our thoughts, that is true. And people like to have control of things. I know that. I'm, I'm one of those as well. I like to have control uh, I hate being in situations where I don't know what's going to happen next. But God puts me there a lot to realize that I'm, no, I'm in Christ. He does everything well. He does that also with salvation. He's an ordained how we're to be saved, as well as the means by which we are saved, which is through the word of God. And again, this does not pardon us from the responsibility of Trusting Christ as our Savior. And you say, how does that match up? Again, I don't know. I just know that that's what's taught in God's word. It's the truth. God elects. God saves. It's his plan. But he also says, you have a responsibility to trust me as Lord and Savior. I think it would be silly, wouldn't you, for a farmer to say, well, God's going to give me a harvest, so I don't need to plow or seed. I don't need to do any of that. God's going to give me the harvest. That would be silly. And I think that's true with our salvation as well. God is elected, but there's a responsibility that we have. Now, we may think that this election that talks about here and other parts of Scripture, that it just doesn't seem fair. It just doesn't make sense. At least that's what went through my mind years ago. But then I came to the place in my life where I realized that if I really believe the God of the Bible, if I believe that he's sovereign, that he's holy, that he's just, that... When I am unfaithful, he's faithful. He can never be anything but faithful. He can never be anything but true. He can never be anything but who he says he is. Then all the stuff that I don't know, I have to trust and believe that he does all things right. He does all things well, even if I don't understand. And there's a little glimpse of that in our family units. As a child... 
You trust your dad or you trust your mom. You trust what they're going to say. You may not be able to explain it. And sometimes what they do, you can't explain it. I'm not saying everything's good and right that they do. I'm just saying that sometimes as a child, you just don't understand. But you know what? If you have a loving mom and dad, the child trusts you. You love me. You take care of me. You've said it. It, I, I believe you until you've proven otherwise. Now, the child won't say that, but that's true. And that's the way it ought to be with a child of God, is that we trust God. We believe him. He will do the right thing all the time, even if I don't understand. So what we do understand is the fifth fill-in, being an adopted child through Jesus Christ to himself, brings true joy, peace, and meaning to life. This is one of the great reasons for getting up and doing things throughout the day is because we are in Christ and he saved us and now we have something more meaningful to live for. We, there's a purpose. It's not just to live, die, pay taxes and that kind of a thing. There is something that we can get out of bed and rejoice over because we're in Christ and he saved us. We were chosen. We were predestined to be adopted as sons and God brought us into his family. Praise God. I think that's a magnificent truth. Magnificent truth and magnificent reality. We've trusted Christ as our Savior. And that's, that's the key point here, too, is that if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, then all that I'm talking about today is probably just going right over your head. And I'm not saying you're, you're not smart. I'm just saying that there's something spiritually not connecting with the truth of God's word. But if you do know Christ as Savior, I hope that you will find peace and comfort and joy, meaning for your life each and every day, because it is magnificent. And in verse 5, he says he's adopted us as sons through Jesus Christ again uh, to himself. So we're given these spiritual blessings. We're adopted into God's family forever and ever and ever because they are God's gifts to us. And whatever gifts he's given to us, and especially in the spiritual realm, when God gives a gift, guess what he expects? He expects you to use it, right? He expects you to use it. Whatever it is that he's given to you. And as I said earlier, it's everything. There's nothing that I, mean, I cannot rightfully claim because I work and earn money that, that buying this house is now my house. If you didn't have the health to have the job that you have, you wouldn't have the money to pay for the house you're in. God did it. God does it. And he's to get the glory. Six, fill in. We can enjoy earthly things God has given, not to love them. But what is important is to live out his principles, become more and more like Christ, and worship him in all of life. So then Paul moves on and tells us why all this took place in verse 6. It says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In other words, what he's saying for God's glory. Do it for God's glory. And you'll see his grace at work. So ultimately, we're not saved, I don't think, just to get to heaven. We're not saved just to have our sins forgiven. Well, all that's true. We're not saved even to receive spiritual blessings. 
We are saved. The whole process, the whole plan is for God to get the glory. And he just wants us to use these things to magnify that and for others to be able to see that. And that's why he wants us as lights in the world is that people in darkness need to see a person that lives in the light, that lives in Christ. What hope is there to a non-believer? God will use your love, your love for one another. They will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So the people will see that. You'll experience a unified you'll experience a unified spirit. You'll experience unity in the body of Christ. You'll have a love for one another. You'll care for one another. You'll be excited about getting together with each other. In Hebrews, when it says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, that that is a command, but it's one that you'll joyfully uh, respond to. I want to be there with my brothers and sisters. I want to experience that joy. I want to experience that love. And you can only do that by being involved in each other's lives, right? Not just a Sunday thing. You have to be involved in each other's lives. I see that you have small groups. Great. If you're not in one, I challenge you to be in one. Grow deeper in your walk with each other. Know one another more. That can be scary. That can be scary. But it also can be a great blessing as you're involved in other people's lives. So it's to be the praise of his glory. Believers are to praise God because he is glorious, shown by his grace, freely bestowed on us in the beloved or in Christ again. So we were chosen in Christ to be holy. You say, no, I'm not holy. (laughs) Neither am I. Or we're to be blameless. But in our standing, we are. That's hard to imagine as well. But being in Christ means we have a standing with God. Now we need to experience that grace and that growth. And we need to become more and more like Christ on a daily basis here upon this earth. Because we're never going to be perfect as God is perfect. But we can grow. We can become more and more like him. There should be a difference. In other words, there should be a difference in our lives, folks. If you know Christ is your Savior, there ought to be a difference in your motives. There ought to be a difference in your thinking, why you're thinking that way. All of that should change. So I say that because there are some people who grew up in a Christian home, and they say, well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. You were born a sinner. Somewhere along the way, God saved you if you trusted him as your Lord and Savior. But what difference does that make? I grew up in a Christian home, but now what difference does that make for you? Has your motive changed? Who do you live for on a day-to-day basis? Are you there just to please your parents? Are you there just to get along? Are you there so that I can uh, go to college and get a good job? Or are you there because now I love Jesus? He's the greatest thing in my life. And whatever I do, I want to do to live to please him. And I will fail along the way, but praise God I have an advocate. Amen? I have an advocate, Jesus Christ. I can go to him. That's not an escape mechanism. That's just a reality as a, as a believer in Christ living in this body, this side of heaven. Then he says uh, holiness and blameless. And those two are important. They go together because it, it talks about um, holiness uh, as, as being that which is happening inside of us. And uh, blameless is that which comes 
out of us, that, those actions that are there. So holiness and blameless are, are two areas in our life that, again, God is working that. The Holy Spirit is working inside of us to develop us, to grow us, to help us to love Christ more and more. And as we do that, it's going to come out in the way we talk and the things that we do and people we associate, the way we witness to other people. The teaching I think Paul is giving to us, that, uh, there's a lot of things that could be drawn out of this passage, I realize that, but the teaching I, that I got of it is that God is to be the delight of my life. He is to be number one. And as we delight in him, as I delight in him, as I worship him, we will appreciate the spiritual blessings. Not the focus, but certainly gratefulness. We will value our being chosen out of the mass of mankind, not understanding it at all, but to know that in true it has happened. This is Jesus' God's plan, that I'm in Christ. If I've trusted Christ as my Lord and my Savior again, realize, I will realize what he's doing inside of me so that Christ can be seen to a lost and dying world, that I can be a good testimony to my brothers and sisters, that I can be that light that he wants me to be on a day-to-day basis. Let's pray. Father, you are a delight. There is no one, nothing like you. Father, no matter what we think about, no matter what we achieve, it all pales in contrast to who you are your greatness and your holiness. And, Lord, for reasons known only for yourself, you saved us. We can't always explain it. As a matter of fact, if each one of us were honest, we'd look in the mirror and say, why, God, why did God save me? But you did. And, Father, help us to not question. Help us to not go back and, and live in the past, because you don't want us to live in the past, but you want us to remember it so that we become <clears throat> a thankful people, a grateful people, a people who want to bring honor and glory to you from this day forward. And that's my prayer for each one of us. Father, as we continue to live for you today and we go to the fellowship downstairs and and into the workplace on Monday and for the days and the weeks and the months that lie ahead, Father, help us to be people who have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And then it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So, Lord, help us, whatever it is that we face day by day, to look forward to salvation, to look forward to one day we will be in heaven with you. But help us to live with joy now, with that eternity in view, so that again, Father, you get the honor and the glory in and through us. Help us to grow in faith. Help us to grow in humility. Help us to grow in obedience. Thank you for loving us. Father, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would join us for our last song as we close out.
Dismissed.